name is Katie Heinley, and this is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make it fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. If you're the generous sort, you can be like Jerry, John, Garrett, Ben, and Janet and support the podcast on Patreon with either a recurring or one-time donation. This helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store. Today, I'm interviewing Jenna Ruiz. Hailing from Pennsylvania, Jenna grew up hiking, kayaking, looking for critters in streams, and playing outside in the woods in her backyard. Her love for the outdoors inspired her to major in environmental science with a concentration in biology at Kutztown University in Pennsylvania. Jenna then completed her master's in biology at Ball University in Muncie, Indiana. Muncie? Muncie, uh, Ball State. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) In Muncie, Indiana, where she examined how fish communities and their associated parasites were shaped by the surrounding land use. After graduate school, she worked as a seasonal fisheries technician at the Midwest Biodiversity Institute. Following that, she moved on to a Conservation Technician 2 position in the Fisheries Division with Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, where her time was split between the management and research aspects of fisheries. Given her love of research, she decided to pursue a PhD at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln to study the endangered pallid sturgeon in the Lower Platte River, Nebraska. All right. Hopefully, I got most of those pronounced yeah. correctly. Yeah, Welcome. there's a lot of lot of weird ones in there. So, yeah, yeah as soon as you throw in a Z into like a university name, yes. like, what am I supposed to do? With that? Exactly. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy you're here. I usually like starting with people's backgrounds. So can you tell me about where your interest in research first began? Yeah, definitely. So actually, my first like interest in research uh, stems from high school. I was really involved in our ag department and oh gosh, this is so many years ago. I think (laughs) either during I want to say my senior year, we could sign up for an independent study class. So in that class, you actually, you know, read papers and came up with your own like mini research project. So I actually uh, tried developing uh, a hydroponics tank in high school. So that was kind of my first dive into anything sort of on my own, you know, doing the background research, how to set it up and just trying to figure out, you know, how in the world it works. So that was kind of step one. Yeah. Um, so then, and my love for just like environmental science in general actually also started with that ag program. So I signed up for, you know, AP environmental science and they had us do a lot of like class projects, like what's your carbon footprint. And then we also had a garden. So I became a garden intern. So it's just a lot of outdoorsy fun stuff we had a barn too so we would raise chickens and have mini uh i think it was a mini pony that we would help take care of and so it was just a really fun experience that definitely immersed me with being in touch with like the environment and just kind of nature and then animals of course mm-hmm. awesome i can thank Comrade wiser high school for that so that's <laughs> a really weird plug but <laughs> That's great. Did you do anything research-wise with your undergrad? Yeah. So I would say that that's where it really, obviously, truly started in terms of a professional environment. So when I went to Kutztown University, my sophomore, I I transferred, so it's kind of weird, sophomore-ish year, I got involved with 
Dr. Alex Hernandez at Kutztown, and the project was constructing an aquatic food web that actually incorporated parasites, which parasites are oftentimes omitted from, you know, food webs and stuff. They're kind of just forgotten, even though they are ubiquitous throughout the world and throughout all the different systems, terrestrial and aquatic. And a lot mm-hmm. of times there are those links between those two. So that was actually my first time, you know, not to be cliche, but getting my feet wet with yeah. fisheries and everything because we use seining and backpack electrofishing to collect fish. And then we take them back to the lab and perform the cropsies on them looking for parasites. So that was sophomore to junior year. And then I actually switched gears because at the time I was more interested in the parasites. So I've had a really kind of odd journey to fisheries. So it took a while to figure out. Um, And I switched gears. I actually studied galls. So like on plants. Okay. That was my senior year. And that was a very cool experience. So we did the goldenrod gall, which is funny because now I'm in Nebraska and that's the state plant. (laughs) And that was really neat. We got to go to Taiwan to present our results. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a really neat experience. We got, that was my first publication as well. So it was truly seeing that scientific process, you know, developing a hypothesis Mm -hmm. and research question, doing all the data collection, data analysis, and then presenting our results as well as publishing. So that was my first true real dive, I would say, in the entirety of the scientific process in a professional setting. So that's awesome. So you're saying, I think in your, well, let me rephrase because I took this out of your bio. Um, (laughs) So your love sort of started with parasites and then moved to fisheries. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very non-traditional, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird. It was like, the first side quest was parasites, and now, right. then eventually we got into fisheries. Truly, so yeah. Was that during your masters that that kind of switched over for you? Yep. Yeah, during my masters. So kind of as you said in the bio. So that was again looking at that parasite fish host mm-hmm. relationship and how you know those assemblages are affected by the surrounding land use. And, you know, I I worked with a professor and a bunch of other grad students who were really into fisheries and their love, I guess you could say, and passion for it kind of rubbed off on me. And, you know, I really immersed myself in it, especially my final year. And then upon graduation, you know, I still enjoy parasites and parasitology but after that I was like oh crap well this is a wrench in my plans so I didn't expect to like fall in love with this field mm-hmm. so that kind of what led to taking the seasonal jobs and trying to figure out you know do I actually like love this yeah before I start making my career out of this so yeah smart very twisty road yeah (laughs) yeah for sure um can we go back to your master's just a little bit I'm just curious if you could tell like the main question behind that project and what you found most interesting from that work yeah for sure um so the main question was you know how does the surrounding land use how does that shape those 
parasite host relationships. So in other words, is parasite infection and intensity greater when the surrounding land use is forested or agriculture or more urban? And kind of the thought behind that is, you know, you have different mechanisms. So forested area, you would expect, you know, biodiversity is more quote unquote natural. So you would have Mm -hmm. more biodiversity and, you know, uh, biodiversity in your host, you would think more biodiversity in parasites. So your tapeworms and your flukes and whatnot. So you would think that you would have greater of that. But then, you know, when you shift to agriculture, you tend to lose biodiversity. So you would think that biodiversity would go down with parasites as well. But then also you have the flip side of agriculture. You know, you get runoff from that into streams. So that leads to increase in nutrients, which tends to lead to increase of gastropods, which is one of the big intermediate hosts for a lot of parasites. So would that, you know, affect that richness or species diversity of parasites? So one thing with my master's that we were kind of running into uh, is if you look at the state of Indiana, a lot of it is agriculture. So our results weren't exactly as I'm going to just loosely use the word stellar as we were hoping them to be. So it ended up, our our final publication ended up being more of just like a baseline survey of parasites throughout Mm -hmm. Delaware County, Indiana, uh, just because, you know, we didn't, all our land use after, you know, going into GIS and everything at all ended up being agriculture. There wasn't much of a comparison, you know, between Mm -hmm. like uh, our different sites. So... There was a fatal flaw in the sampling design there. Yeah. So, but still a baseline study, I think in the paper, I forget what year it was, but there really hasn't been any sort of studies on like what parasites are present. So mm-hmm. it's a good uh, starting point for anyone who wants to continue that work. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like baseline info is really underrated and how valuable it is to have. Yeah. So. <laughs> I would agree, especially in yeah. parasites, you know. <laughs> Great. So then you were saying you kind of moved to the more seasonal position. So I was curious with your first job at the Midwest Biodiversity Institute, what were the goals of the work that you were doing there, at least like the projects you were involved with? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things is we would be contracted out by different like conservation groups and whatnot, or different like contractors. So for example, there was a dam in one of the, you know, creeks we surveyed or rivers, and we were sampling below the dam and we had another crew sampling above the dam and they were questioning whether or not to remove the dam. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because below the dam, we found round goby, which is, you know, an invasive species and above the dam, there weren't. So mm-hmm. that was one thing. And then a lot of it is them with the conservation groups, you know, they just don't know what's in uh, their creeks and stuff, what mm-hmm. species. So that provided them, you know, that idea. And then uh, I mainly worked, so Midwest Biodiversity Institute, when I was there, we worked in Ohio as well as Illinois, just traveling around. And I guess Illinois is doing a lot of um, conversion to prairies, you know, how it was. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know, you know, is this quote unquote working? Yeah. So we would come in and see, you know, what native species were in now in these creeks and streams and whatnot. And then I guess they'll go back again 
eventually and yeah. you know resample because I think it was more so in the early years of those restoration projects. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun traveling all over. It was yeah. a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, you went to work with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. <laughs> I don't know why I want fish to be in that word so bad. Yeah, um, that, I mean, all the state agencies are so <laughs> little tweaks to their names. It's <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of curious what work you did there because there's a little bit of a distinction in the like the management research efforts. So, like, what was different about those and I guess, what, what were you doing with that job? Yeah, so a couple different things. So with management, you know, we did your standard surveys, you know, spring, fall, so gill netting, uh, running trap nets, electrofishing, and just doing those surveys, seeing how fish populations are doing, uh, stocking and whatnot. Uh, we got scales for aging as well. You know, your standard fisheries management, whatnot, mm-hmm. but then... Uh, For research, so uh, I was in the Kearney office, and they work a lot with the University of Nebraska at Kearney graduate students, so I would help them on their projects, so that includes uh, stuff like walleye, uh, aging otoliths for walleye, and crappie, and then a lot of Georgia Cube stuff going Mm -hmm. on at that university. But the cool thing with the research aspect is that I was able to actually devise uh, my own kind of side project with them. So they had a data set from, oh gosh, let me make sure I got 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. They had a big flood. So uh, one of the reservoirs, Harlan County, they have coves that some are disconnected, some are intermittently connected from the main reservoir, and some are always connected. So after the big flood in 2019, they uh, wanted to see how the fish communities in those coves change. Mm-hmm. So I worked with that four-year data set and actually got a publication out of that. And yeah, so I was pretty excited. And then... Also with Game and Parks, like I said, I had, I have a background in parasites and my boss, Keith Copel was really excited about that because I guess for years he's been trying to do like an in-house sort of for uh, fisheries managers of, you know, parasites that could be in the fish uh, in Nebraska because they, I guess, sometimes get, you know, some questions about it. Yeah. And I guess he's been kind of just like, hinting at, you know, the other, like, technicians before me, like, hey, do you want to do this? And everyone's like, not really. So (laughs) he was pretty excited when he saw that I had that background. So I was able to do kind of like an in-house, what they call that, gray publication, Mm -hmm. where it's like, just for Nebraska game parks. So I was able to make that guide for them. So it works like a dichotomous key. So lots of different stuff with the research division, which was a bunch of um, so what did you find with the the flood and the cove assemblage? Oh, yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> so, so after the flooding event, we saw, especially for our disconnected cove, so our one disconnected cove only had common carp. And after the connection, the diversity like skyrocketed, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. Yeah. So. Definitely fish tend to move into these connected coves, you know, once they become connected. 
So I think overall our trend was uh, our Shannon diversity went up and I want to say our similarity between, you know, Cove types uh, also increased, if I remember correctly. Sorry, it's been a couple yeah, years. Yeah. But, you know, the question then becomes, you know, should we work to keep Coves connected? Mm-hmm. You know, if we tend to think that increases diversity, but yeah. overall it depends on what the management goal of right. the reservoir is, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine, because I know disconnected coves have been used to rear native species. So I think one case was like uh, using a cove to rear uh, razorback suckers, I want to say in Arizona, that could be wrong. And then also, if you keep coves disconnected, that can provide like little small pools of different fish species compared to the main reservoir mm-hmm. and as well as have that angler access because once coves become connected, you know, you also have that boating aspect yeah. of it too with those coves and that competition between a boat angler and a shoreline angler. So it, it just depends on what the management goal of the reservoir is about whether or not you want to keep coves connected or disconnected or right. whatnot. But it also takes money to keep coves connected so again it it all depends (laughs) on what the budget is as well (laughs) yeah for sure very cool so then you moved on to your phd did that uh did your phd project stem from your work at nebraska gaiman parks it did not necessarily (laughs) stem but i i mean you know we all scroll through texas Mm a&m like the job board so eventually i think i would have seen this position pop up but at the time, my position was an 11-month temporary, and I was getting ready. I was applying to jobs and stuff, and my boss, as well as one of the professors I worked with at uh, University of Nebraska Kearney, they were very much, you know, you should go on and do a PhD. Uh, you ask too many questions and <laughs> whatnot, so, uh, and you appear to enjoy research, so... Right. They were pushing for that, and one of my bosses was like, Jenna, I really want you to stay in Nebraska. And I like Nebraska. It's just <laughs> very different than Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I grew up hiking, and I used to go on backpacking trips, yeah. you know, uh, in the summers throughout undergrad on the Appalachian Trail, and that's just mm-hmm. not necessarily an option in Nebraska itself. Yeah. So that's a big aspect of my life that I miss. But I was like, the only thing that'll keep me in Nebraska is a sturgeon job. And he goes, oh, oh, I know of an opportunity coming up. So just you wait. And as soon as it got posted and he saw it as well, he was like, okay, so you need to apply for that. So it it didn't necessarily lead into it, but I found out about it a lot faster than I think I would have just scrolling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, we all know it's about like, or a big aspect of getting jobs and finding opportunities about who you know. So Mm -hmm. I think my network here is a very strong one as well. And I've made a lot of good connections here. So yeah, that's awesome. Can you talk about what you're researching for your PhD with sturgeon? Yeah, definitely. As you said, in the beginning, pallid sturgeon are federally endangered. They were listed endangered in 1990. And habitat alterations is very much attributed to their decline. So like damming as well as Mm -hmm. channelization 
uh, of Missouri. And right now, a lot of effort and research has been focused on the main stem of the Missouri River, as well as like lower Mississippi basin. So those are, that's their range. And we, there's still some gaps in knowledge about how large tributaries such as the Platte River, you know, play a role in pallid sturgeon life history. There's been past research on the Platte River with pallid sturgeon. So we know that they like, in theory, were in the Platte, but we didn't know like how many and, you know, where did, where did they go? What habitat do they use? Are they spawning? So we're just trying to answer some of those broad questions to help contribute to the knowledge of their life history. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Surgeons are so cool. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Like I told Copeland, that that would be the only thing that would keep me in Nebraska. Sturgeon, or I guess I also said paddlefish, that there was yeah. one other fish. But... <laughs> pretty hard to beat yeah um so it is it is fun listening to people and like how their ideas of like what their interests are have changed and like your path from like parasites to fish and everything I'm just curious how how do you think your research interests have like changed with you as you've gone farther along in your career I that's a really good question Hmm. so I guess when we go back I think one of the chapters in my PhD that I'm trying to flesh out more, I'm not quite sure how it's going to be done, is kind of a life history component question mm-hmm. based off life history theory, which I don't think I've ever truly considered prior to this. It's been very kind of more ecology-based before, you know, how does mm-hmm. land use affect this biotic component or how does reconnection affect this biotic component? Yeah. So I would say just kind of thinking more biologically in terms of life history, that has definitely been a shift in my focus. And then, yeah, just kind of, I've been thinking a lot more broadly about habitat and what habitat even means and the concept mm-hmm. of habitat. So <laughs> I know that that's going to be a question on my comps. I, yeah. <laughs> it was a question in my interview for the job, for this uh-huh. position. So uh, something my advisors ask a lot. So I've definitely been thinking about just the concept of habitat a lot more than I've ever even considered whether or not habitat's even real. So right. yeah, getting real uh, theoretical with that and abstract uh-huh. thinking. So yeah, I had a habitat uh, use class, I guess. And I think we spent the first like week or two just trying to define habitat. And we're like, I don't know what it is. (laughs) Yeah, there's a a pretty interesting uh, opinion paper about how useful is the concept of habitat that I've read. And I don't know, it brings up some good points because like a lot of times, you know, it's a space an organism like uses to carry Mm -hmm. out like X, Y, Z. And it's like, wasn't that like a niche or niche, however you want to pronounce it. But it's like, oh, God. So, and then habitat use versus habitat association and all that yep. jazz. Mm-hmm. So definitely been a lot more focused and questioning that yep. sort of aspect of things and research. Yeah. I was trying to decide if I want to ask a question here, but I think I'll just save it for your, your dream job. I was just kind of curious, like, well, maybe I'll, we'll, we'll see. I might just cut this part off. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Do you have any like idea of once you're done with your PhD, if there's any like specific questions you want to keep answering, or are you pretty open to whatever kind of comes down the pipe? Kind of open to whatever yeah. comes down the pipe. I mean, that's so far how I've just been rolling. Right. So yes. <laughs> hasn't gotten, hasn't led me too far astray. So yeah, we'll just sure. see. <laughs> I mean, especially with this job, I feel like kind of beggars, you know, fisheries beggars can't be choosers. In right. terms. <laughs> For sure. That's how I ended up in Nebraska in the first yeah. place. So. <laughs> I remember I was at Midwest Fish and Wildlife Conference when I was at Fall State. And they did, you know, the social luncheon with professionals. And I sat mm. down at a table. And then people from Nebraska, Game and Parks, came over and sat with us. And I was thinking in my mind, like, who lives in Nebraska? Who would move to Nebraska? And then two years later, I was in Nebraska. And I was like, son of a gun. They got me. <laughs> <laughs> just jinxed it yeah I was like, man I really just called myself out so that's so funny so one question I always like asking people because I think it's interesting and especially for grad students I think it's hard to like remember where people outside of our work um so what hobbies and interests do you have outside of your research I have a dog who I yes. absolutely love so uh his name is Chance I actually got him during my master's and you know just taking him on walks and stuff is super fun but then also I'm pretty into rock climbing I've been rock climbing since 2016 in my undergrad so uh, luckily UNL has a wall because Nebraska's kind of short on mountains so (laughs) me and a bunch of other grad students will go to the rock climbing wall especially during not field season like once or twice a week during field Uh season it kind of just ends but yeah it's all right. So those are big two. I recently came back from vacation and I finally got to read a book for fun. So when I have the time, I do like to do that. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, you're fishing and whatnot. Yeah. I love when I have a chance to read for fun on the yeah. vacation. Yeah. I was kind of bummed though. The book I chose is actually, she wrote my favorite book, but the book that I read while on vacation, it took me to part two to get invested, which is about halfway through the book. And I was like, Ugh. oh, man. Oh, well, this is the only book I brought. So right. <laughs> committed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we have come to the end of what we call the tough part of the interview and are down to our final five questions, which is a group of questions we ask each of the guests that come on the show. The first one is, what is your favorite fish? I've been thinking about this the past yeah. like 24 <laughs> hours, hardcore. I would say either rainbow darter or long-ear sunfish. I'd say those are the two fish where, like, when I was first, you know, getting my feet wet in fisheries, those are the two fish that made me realize, oh, my God, native fish are beautiful and, like, hardcore underappreciated, which really stemmed my passion for, you know, native species and studying them and their Mm -hmm. conservation and why they're important and whatnot so it's it's between those two yeah so. awesome I love rainbow darter I remember I worked in Michigan for one summer and it was the first time I saw them I was like this exists it's so beautiful right I I was back home with uh my family last summer and I saw a bunch of just Johnny darters you know in the stream and I was pointing them to my little sister she was like I don't know, an age 14, 13 at the time. And I was like, look at them. She goes, I've never seen those fish before. I'm like, yeah, they're cool. Look at them dart around in the ripple. So 
That's awesome. What is your favorite memory from your career so far? All right. So I've also been thinking about this one. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, we're so we run trot lines to sample and mm-hmm. there's nothing like, you know, you're running the trot line and all of a sudden you just see this flash of white and you know it's a pallet sturgeon. That's always just a very cool moment in bringing it into the boat. But there's also, I don't know, so we drive airboats around on the Platte River because it, it, it's typically super shallow right now. It's at like 11,000 CFS. But so there's a lot of sandbar and stuff. So sometimes we'll like after the day or if we need to talk about something, we'll just rendezvous on a sandbar and chat, which is like kind of a surreal experience because you're just sitting in the middle of the river mm-hmm. on an airboat of all things and just chatting, which I think is cool. But I have to say, I think my favorite and coolest memory is we just released a pallid sturgeon like a big a huge male like filled with milk which which is really cool Mm -hmm. but we heard or we saw a deer jump in the river and start swimming and we were like what's it doing is it is it gonna make it like but then we were all watching that and all of a sudden it was me and uh two other uh guys so one of the master student one is our technician and also behind me, there was like, there's a hill, train tracks, and then the river. And I just hear like a scuffle and I was like, rocks falling. But I turned around and it was a coyote chasing a deer, which I'm oh. guessing the other deer was running from. And I've never seen anything like that. And all I could get out was coyote chasing a deer, coyote chasing a deer. <laughs> and uh, Chris and Carter just turned around real quick and we all saw this coyote get within like an inch of the deer before mm-hmm. like the deer jumped into the river and the coyote was just on the bank, just looking at it and pacing before it went back up into the woods. And I was like, I've never seen anything. Yeah. Like and they, we were all like just in shock that that happened. So that was really, really cool. That's incredible. Man, I just love spending time on rivers. You see so many cool things. I know, right? <laughs> uh, we saw like a... Uh, eagles battling over territory the one day i just like stopped the boat we were driving back to the boat i just stopped the boat we just watched these this one these two eagles chase another bald eagle and i was like that was so cool sorry guys for prolonging our day for like two two to five more minutes and they're like no it's all good it's awesome all right what is your dream job and or location that is a wonderful question (laughs) My partner is also in natural resources, so ideally a place where we can both get a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that, that's tough. I think we both like to go, uh, we've talked about it a bit. It'd be really cool to work. The one place I haven't worked yet is like Pacific Northwest. I think it'd be mm-hmm. really cool to go up there, Columbia River, and study like white sturgeon. Yeah. That'd be really neat. And yeah. I have a friend up there working now I mean he does a bunch of salmon stuff as you can imagine mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was like but sturgeon he was yeah you never know <laughs> so opening <laughs> might come up so yep. we'll see how that looks by the time I'm done this right I think that'd be really neat yeah for sure that's such a beautiful area too yeah <laughs> okay another I think this one's one of the hardest questions um if money was not an issue what is one project you would like to work on hmm Money was not an issue. Yeah. Um, like my personal money or project money? <laughs> um, I think it's usually framed as like a project money, yeah. but you t- take it how you will. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I've listened in. Norley's project. I wish also personal money. That was an issue. But project yeah. money, I mean, for right now, like, I think it'd be really cool if we could just have, like, so we use acoustic telemetry. It'd be great mm-hmm. if we could just have a receiver, like, everywhere throughout the river. Because we have yeah. kind of... Like, uh, Platte River is kind of rough, that braided system with the acoustic telemetry and line of sight. So I think it'd be really cool if we could just have a bazillion receivers that make our lives a little easier with honing in on where the fish are. Yeah. So those things are not cheap. Yeah, for sure. All right. Our last question is if there's one point or principle you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? Make sure you're happy, which sounds really cliche, but... I did have a tough time finishing up my master's because I was really unhappy. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, not only, I guess, happy within yourself, but like make sure you're happy in your environment with your project, kind of all aspects. Because not only have I seen it in myself, but I've seen it with other people where they're just having a tough time because they're so unhappy either finishing their degree or just like you know coping with life and I think Mm -hmm. you know in this day and age I think mental health is just such a huge aspect and luckily now talked about with the grad student life and just kind of life in general about how important it is to make sure you are mentally healthy and with that I think happiness so Mm -hmm. say that that's my biggest thing (laughs) I don't know that was one of my favorite ones I've heard. That was so nice. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming today. It was wonderful. Um, really fun to hear about your work and talk about Sturgeon a little bit. Yeah. If people want to find out more information about your projects or just get a hold of you, is there a good way for them to do that? Yeah. My Twitter is JP Ruiz. Feel free to shoot me a message or anything that I can give you like email or something so more than happy to chat and whatnot and thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed it so I just want to make sure I said that good I'm glad (laughs) yeah it's been great I always hope it's an enjoyable experience (laughs) that's fair yeah that'd be rough but no big fan of the podcast so it's, it's super fun to be on it and whatnot I hope that you all enjoyed this episode If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fisheriespod, or send us an email to feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Katie Heinley. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, make sure you're happy.